Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. Welcome back to the LurkCast. Whoop. Just kidding. Sometimes in like shows, you know what I mean? You hear people do introductions like that. I remember as a kid, you'd always watch those like monster truck jam commercials that would come on TV every Saturday morning when you were watching cartoons. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. You know, and then they <laughs> kind of go into their deal, man. And as much as you would laugh at it, you would find yourself sitting there going, man, I feel like Sunday. I need to make sure I'm. I'm dialed in on this TV, bro. <laughs> Watch this monster truck show. Anyways, Larkast takes on a very different flavor. Um, I guess one way to describe it is uh, just a couple of chill people who have been learning to find some rest and relief in what Jesus has actually done. To, uh, as I was talking to somebody the other day, man, to just go all in on the reconciliation of all things. Yeah. And just, man, week by week, just taking a look at what Jesus actually said and the scandalous nature of it and just letting his words speak for themselves, man, and be able to just bring some honesty to that conversation. Some of the struggles, the doubts, the fears, we we share in these. We're not above these. <laughs> we, yep. we, we are broken people passing on the good news of God's boundless love. So all that said, welcome to the Lardcast. Today, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll notice that this is not Tony who is with me. This is another member of our team, Jameson, who's with me today. Tony has taken a little break this week, man, to go spend some time away for his birthday with his wife. Cheers to him and Cheers, all Tony. that he's, uh, all the good times I know that they're stepping into. I think they just went to like a Wu-Tang con- uh, concert, if I'm not mistaken, man. No I think way. I just saw that. He mentioned he was going to try to go to that. So being a... Being an old school hip hop fan that he is, man, I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was trying to find some way to get to that Beside show. Inside himself, yeah. Uh, and I don't blame him if he did. Yep. So, a um, couple things before we get rolling here. One, just want to say shout out to everybody who's been supporting Lark. Seriously, uh, that this whole ministry, I would say, if you wanted to, you could sum it up as just cutting through the religious noise with scandalous news. I mean, that's just something we're really passionate about. And so we have been creating a lot of content, including this podcast and other things and hosting conversations and traveling and meeting with people who are passing on this good news. We're just trying to get it out there. So if you're new to this, Lark and Larkcast is crowdfunded by listeners like you. And we just, again, want to say thank you. Number two, really quick. If you haven't signed up yet, go to LarkSite.com, LarkSite.com. You'll find a number of new things that we've got available on there, including some new resources that we've been giving away, available through a free membership, a bunch of other things that are going on there. But one thing specific, down at the bottom of the website, you'll see a place to sign up for, I don't know, newsletter for lack of better terms, updates, insights, encouragement. Um, That's like a really big thing for us for a couple of reasons. One, it gives us a chance to really just bring ongoing insights and encouragement to people, which we do just... And we're kind of amping that up this fall. So we've got a number of new resources that we're going to get out there. They will all be available to anyone and everyone for free. 
just go to larksite.com, go to the bottom of the website, sign up, you one, receive a free gift, really cool resource that we put out about how to really understand, is it Jesus I'm following or religion? That's a big question, man. Yeah. And uh, in a personal one for me, I spent 15 years in successful pastoral leadership, planting and pastoring churches, only to discover after 15 years that I was anxious and exhausted because I had spent most of my adult life living in good faith to the wrong God. <laughs> That's just the bottom line, man. It's easy to do because there's yeah. just so much religion out there with Jesus's name on it. And it's the opposite of what he actually says. Hmm. So with no further ado, um, enough of the announcements. Glad you're here. Dude, let's dive into this conversation. Let's We're in it. John chapter six. This is a humdinger, man. <laughs> These next two episodes, you're talking about getting into the nitty gritty, man. Here we go. So I say we just dive in, man. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. John All six. Right. John six. Okay, here we go. I'm just going to read. I'm just going to read some verses, man. And we'll just kind of pause as we go. Great. Just seems to be how my brain works best. And we'll just chop it up. Okay. One thing I will say before I get started here. Okay. I'm just passing this on to you and everybody who's listening with us. To me, this is a major turning point in Jesus's ministry. I feel like there is a Messiah brand that has been put in place by John the Baptist about who this Messiah is and what he's come to do and what he's going to accomplish. And up to this point, Jesus seems to be kind of going in step with it. Okay. And I feel like this is a major shifting, turning, right? About face point in his ministry where he intentionally begins to break away from this brand that's been put out there in regards to who the Messiah would be. So without any further delay, here we go. John chapter six, verse one. It says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, okay? Which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. It says that Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the Passover, okay, just so we're clear here, it says the feast of the Jews was at hand. So that's something that's going on here. Verse five, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, one of his disciples, hey, uh, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? I love this verse six. He said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here, okay, who has five barley loaves and two fish. But <laughs> I love this. But what are they for so many? Question mark. And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass, okay, in the place, it says. Not referring to weed. This isn't Woodstock, all right? It's not what that means. It just means that there's a lot of land with grass on it, okay? So there's a lot of grass in this place. Just grass. Just grass. Again, 
just uh just grass so the men sat down about five thousand in number notice it says the men sat down now for for a lot of us we're like oh yeah five thousand people no no no. see this is a very clear reference in the jewish culture they're counting men so five thousand men sat down that's not counting all the women and children so a lot of scholars believe that this crowd could have been upwards of fifteen thousand people pretty easy okay so it's like whoa okay this is uh this is, this is a big deal. Verse 11, it says, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. It's like, whoa, okay, hold, here we go. And when they had eaten their fill, referring to the crowd, he told his disciples to go gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered it up and filled 12 baskets with fragments, Okay from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. There it is, man. That's a yeah. moment. That's a scene right there. That's a scene. I was going to stop earlier as I was reading, but I'm like, nah, we kind of got to capture the whole story at once. And then we've got some other things that we can look at, man, as we keep going here. Yeah. But yeah, you've definitely got a full scene that is happening, right? Major yep. turning point. Bottom line, supernatural stuff draws people, man. It draws a crowd. All right. Um. And that apparently is something that's been going on. They think Jesus is this wonder-working rabbi, okay, who's come to perform some miracles, to show that he's a great prophet. He's got to be this promised Messiah, this, this king that we're thinking is going to put us back in the right place and remove Rome and all the oppression that's in place here. And not only that, man, like this guy can feed us, and he's got some great teaching. Like he really expounds upon the ethics of things in a much deeper sense, right, than what we've heard before. And so this crowd is coming around the conversation, and they're following Jesus to the point where we've got 15,000 people at Woodstock, pre-Woodstock, basically. <laughs> and I love this, like, Jesus sees them, he says, hey, just out of curiosity, how are we going to feed all these people, right? And of course, the reference there, like, 200 denarii wouldn't do this. In other words, 200 days wages, it's not going to be enough to feed all of these people. And by the way, even if it was, even if we had 200 days wages in our pockets, just out of curiosity, how many Jewish stores have got enough bread on the shelves, right? For 200 days wages. Just to feed the people on the hill, the whole crowd. Yeah. 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 So it's like, uh, so Andrew's like, look, man, we got a boy's lunch here. Okay. We got five loaves of bread. We got a couple of fish, but seriously, like, what is this really going to, what's this really going to do? And I love this. And I'll just stop here because I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, man. But to me, the big aha that I found myself looking at this is the whole project, this whole miracle is so understated. It's so underplayed. It seems like intentionally from Jesus. Because he's over to the side, right? And he's talking to these guys and they've got this thing in front of them. It's not near enough. And he just literally gives thanks for it and just tells them to start passing it out. It's like, wait, wait, what? 
And it, it's not until like after it's all done and everyone's had their fill, it says, that they even take into account what's really gone on here. And then, as you notice, like in verse 15, Jesus is like, as fast as he can, he wants to get out of town. <laughs> it's like, it's as quick as it happens. He's like, yeah, I got to get out of here. This is just so opposite of every single thing that you would see in modern times. Okay. Or then from any person who was out to perform all these wonders and draw a crowd and prove to the world of who he is and what he's here to do to garner all the worship and all the fame and all the fortune that would come from it to make the world straighten up and fly right. He does the opposite in every step of the journey here. Yep. What do you think, man? Man, there's, I think you're right. It's understated. And I think that um, like what John is doing as he's telling us this story, he puts, he puts that marker right at the beginning where he says the time of the Jewish Passover was near. So yeah. like in terms of the book of John, right? He's using that to give us a, a frame. He's like, okay, here's the frame we're shooting this image through right now. The Passover is here. Everyone is going to remember at this point. Oh, that's the time that we celebrate when God sent Moses and Moses, by the way of God, carried, like led everybody out of Egypt, out of slavery, into liberation. And mm. the only way out was through the Passover moment, <laughs> the moment where all of the people that were in essentially knew that they were supposed to put blood over their door. And if they put blood over their door, guess what? Their firstborn child would not die that night. This is the picture in their minds. They got delivered from uh, Israel, like got delivered from God's right. wrath in that moment. So John's like, this is now the frame going forward. And for the rest of this book, you're absolutely right. It's a turning point. It's a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. And it's a turning point in the flow of the whole book. Because mm -hmm. now we're seeing, and this is in all the gospels, there's this turn where Jesus is now like dead set on getting to Jerusalem. And he's going to say some things on the way that are going to get him killed by the mm -hmm. religious people who have gotten in bed with Rome. So to me, I'm like, the Jewish Passover is near. Jesus makes bread out of nothing, which again is like, okay. We've seen this before. Yeah. We've heard Although, of this story from our ancestors where God literally fed us from heaven manna. Only one person can be given credit for providing bread in this manner. And Jesus is like, it's me. And they're all yeah. like, how can we put this to good use? <laughs> <laughs> and Jesus is like, set up an operation here. I think that like the moment, and I, there's a couple different authors that they look at this moment and they're like, this is where Jesus seems to have realized in a way that he hadn't almost fully realized even until this point. Yeah. Displaying that I'm one with the father by doing these sorts of signs and take note, they're signs and they're not miracles <laughs> in John, mm -hmm. at least John calls them signs. I know you guys have talked about that, but we have to keep it in mind here. They're not getting it. Yep. And so the turning forward, it changes, it shifts, right? Yeah. Yeah. Major shift. And I love that point you're bringing up. Like it's such a needed thing to not just skip through that. 
that you know, hey man, Passover's in view. Okay, so their 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 whole history of liberation from God out of slavery in view, a work of God. You mentioned right the blood over the door, right? God spoke and said to do this, and He would mm-hmm. pass over all the homes that by you ready for this, that by faith shed blood. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he saw, yes, they believe, and he passed over. Then he delivers them. Then he feeds them while they're in the desert with nothing to eat, right? Bread from heaven. Then later on, he keeps telling all these stories throughout the Old Testament of what he's like and what he's going to come and do. And then he shows up in that person, in Jesus, and he's been making it known for all these chapters that we've been looking at so far in the Larkast in the book of John. And they're still just not grasping it. And so here we have this sign at a time of Passover, specifically pointing to one from heaven, feeding us with bread from heaven. (laughs) It's like liberation. Yep. Right. It's like the whole thing is like, whoa, like you can't make this up, man. Every statement's loaded. Every single statement in this chapter is loaded. (laughs) Loaded. Yeah. Yeah. I know we were laughing about this pre-show, just comparing some notes, but I'm like, you could spend the next year in John chapter six, man, you you could, you could take three words from one passage and do an entire episode on it. There's just so much baked into every single statement here where God, by work of his spirit through the scriptures, right. is just revealing. This is what I'm like. This is what I'm trying to show you. Please open your eyes. Mm-hmm. But as we looked at a text, which I've already mentioned, um, and even read, while all this is going on, Jesus makes this shift. He does the miracle. It's understated. Everyone eats. They're all full. Then they recognize there's leftover, right? Leftovers even. And he's like, I got to get out of here. And he heads to the mountains and he heads there to pray. He seems to be, uh, he seems to be well aware, as the passage says, that he knows, man, these people are not seeing what the Messiah is actually here to do. And they're about to come and seize me and make me their king. As if an earthly king could bring about what's actually needed. It can't. It hasn't. It never will. Which is why throughout the Old Testament, God kept telling the people who wanted a king. Yeah, you don't need a king. I am sufficient which is really funny because now we have 2000 years of Christianity and the practice of it. And on almost every single context you can find under the banner of church, you'll find right. A local King or queen. Like there's just something, man, that I guess it's maybe just that love of control. Not sure what it is, but the nature of that, man, it's, it's real. And Jesus sees this. And perhaps, you know, he's even having some doubts about his own approach because what he's been doing has kind of, you know I mean? It's kind of played along with some of this. He's, it's like, he has been teaching. He has been expounding on some things that really reveal what he's like and, and, and what the law actually you know, demands. And he's, he's shown us a, a, a much deeper understanding of, of just human ethic and he has performed some miracles and have, right. There are some signs that point to, man, this guy's not just a prophet. This is God in the flesh, but you could definitely tell here is like, yeah, the doubts are, they're there, man. The heaviness is there. 
to the point where he goes and prays all night about it to just wrestle with the father. Like something's got to give, you know, would be my, would be my take on it. Yeah. Question for you, Russ. Have you ever experienced something um, that you would attribute to God or through Jesus or whatever in your ministry that you were like, man, this is going to work. I, like, I just need to figure out how to put this into the application in my context in order to get done what I see needs to get done here. Has that ever been a thing for you? Just every day for the last 23 years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Despite man. knowing better, <laughs> there is that, that feeling that creeps up that thought. And sometimes it's met with, wait, wait, what? But then sometimes it's entertained for far too long. Yeah. And pursued and practiced. And later, what in the hell was I thinking? <laughs> well, and to go with the baking imagery, I feel like a lot of what I was even taught it like on purpose and even accidentally, I can't say it's all their fault. Yeah. Um, it's baked in like this idea that no, Jesus is something you apply to your life. Oh yeah. And when you do, then you will get whatever, you know, it's like a, almost somewhat of a formulaic approach to spirituality and then therefore human life. <laughs> We're like, well, Jesus is actually the right silver bullet. If I just put that filter over everything, then it's all going to make more. Then it's going to, it's going to work effects. It's going to be more positive or whatever. And I'm like, that's still like you, you think you're making much of Jesus in that, but you're actually not. You're, you're the, you're the one who's trying to force him to become your King. And it's like, I don't, you don't understand. Kingship isn't my MO. Yeah. That's a great and very valid point. I saw something the other day, um, naturally in the church planting and discipleship world, you can see all the formulas are just, they're coming at us from like every angle, man. Um, and how to force Jesus into some earthly kingship to make our project work. And you are correct. In the name of making much of God, we're actually making little of him. And what we're calling faithfulness is actually just a complete and utter lack of faith. Hmm. Um, but to me, the most hilarious one that I've seen recently uh, is the uh, holy hookups from, from a church. What? Yeah, they got a series coming out called Holy Hookups, and it's this whole breakdown of principles and frameworks that you can use from the scriptures to somehow force Jesus into bringing about uh, some sort of dating relationship that will lead to the marriage of your dreams, and then you'll finally be fulfilled. And I'm, Whoa. I'm looking at the thing from like the outside trying to be like, yeah, I mean, it seems sincere, but the more I started to look into it, I just found myself going, what the, what, where, what are we doing? What are we doing? So face palm moment where you're just like <laughs> hookups, holy, holy hook, like holy Jesus hookups. is about you having holy hookups now. I yep. mean, but there's a formula for it is my point. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yep. And it's like, no, there's no formula for this, man. Um, but that said, yeah, like in light of what you were just sharing, man, I found myself thinking about this going, if you, notice how everything people in power want, Jesus seems to want nothing to do with. <laughs> like you yeah. see that right here. And then notice how everything the general public 
thinks is needed, Jesus wants nothing to do with. Yep. And the two areas where I see it the most from a general overall societal standpoint is either from the church world or from the political world. That seems to be where we practice that misunderstanding the most. Hmm. Um, as far as its broader effect, I guess you could say. You definitely can find it in our own personal lives in regards to the things that we personally struggle with or our relationships or parenting or, you know, on down the line. But that seems to be like, man, we should maybe be a little more weary of people in power that are wanting to do and accomplish and be things that Jesus didn't want anything to do with. Yep. Yeah. Or and maybe we shouldn't to... seek that as much. <laughs> Just yeah. a thought. There's something going on there. <laughs> yeah, there's something. something different at work in this story because we're in good company, man. Like we yep. are just like the crowd who are trying to manipulate Jesus into getting our idea of justice done, our idea of all things being put back to how they should be, right? Yep. And as I, as we, I mean, I, I, we've got a little bit of time left, so let's finish this section because it says in verse 18 or right before 18 it's getting dark now and jesus had still not rejoined them the wind was strong and the sea was getting rough okay this also sounds familiar mm -hmm. they had rowed three or four miles when they saw jesus walking on the sea and coming towards the boat they were afraid but he said it's me don't be afraid yep. they were ready to take him into the boat and immediately it reached the shore at the place they were making for. And I'll, I'll make one note. You can, can run with it after this, but this is also a blinking light on the page where John's saying, do you remember a time where there was chaotic water and I calmed it and I made it right, mm -hmm. right after you walked out of Egypt, right? So John's, John is just like, He's helping us funnel all of our thoughts to Jesus as a reference point, like actually the other way around. The reference point is the Passover and all of what God did to lead them out of Egypt. Mm -hmm. We're now learning how to associate that with Jesus in a new and a better way. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. For sure. It's, um, it's, it's like one more account where Jesus is making known to everybody that the God who did all of these things that you guys have heard about your whole lives and studied and have heard, right, talked about from the elders and in the synagogues regarding, you know, Passover and the whole celebration that's, that's at hand. That's what's going on at this moment. This is now a third reference to Jesus being, okay, not an angel that was sent, not a prophet who came to just proclaim what's true. This is the very one who was at work that delivered you then has now become flesh and is among you now. Yep. And He's walking on the water to points you. Points to Jesus. Yep. And yep. Moses was pointing to Jesus. <laughs> yes. Which I think you probably talked about at the end of the last one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody is, right? I mean, that's, that's the entire Bible is a collection of flawed people pointing to <laughs> the only hope we have jesus so yeah mark six kind of sort of recounts if you want to if you know just to invite our listeners in if you ever want to just go there in mark six you see this sort of same encounter here 
And it says that the disciples were completely amazed and utterly confused. I love that because they didn't understand about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. Capon goes on and describes it as uh, he says, perhaps in their inability to grasp the first miracle that took place earlier that Jesus was pointing to, they were unable to now grasp the second. And seeing him, right, they were perplexed. They were, like it says right here, completely amazed and utterly confused. A lot of scholars believe that they weren't scared because of the water. Like these are fishermen. They're not freaking out, man, about getting across this lake to the other yeah. side. Um, another day in the life. Yeah, another day in the life. They're, they're amazed in confusion. You know what I mean? Their scariness of the moment is going on from seeing this guy that they've been with now walking on the water to them. And their hearts are hardened because they just don't know what to do with this. They're, they still have him in the same box John the Baptist had him in. Wonder-working rabbi with some really good teaching points. Apply these principles to your life, and uh, all will go well. And he's just obliterating all of that. So let's just go ahead and finish up here because, man, okay. I'm, just, I'm just really eager, dude, for the next episode just because of – Man, the questions that they throw at Jesus and his answers, man, it takes what we're talking about in this episode to a whole nother level. Yeah, it does. So I'll just go ahead and end here. So it says that, um, you know, they, they get to the other side, the crowd, you know what I'm saying, has now gone to the other side of the lake. They're wondering how in the world, you know what I mean, Jesus has even gotten over here. And it says here that on the next day, the crowd remain, you know, remained on the other side of the sea, um, questioning how did he get here? and sorry, I lost my place. I'm just gonna read verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, why did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, ding, 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 but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Dude, do not work for the food that perishes, he says, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Bro, <laughs> you guys chase me the other side of the lake because like, like in any case, the supernatural draws a crowd and you're hungry and you think that's, that's life. That's your need. If he can just do this for us, right? We'll just hang by him and follow him every day for the rest of our lives. And you'll completely miss the very God that made you, why he made you, what he's like, what he's doing and the very dance he actually created you for. You'll sell it all down the river for a piece of bread at 5 p.m. Don't seek what's what's perishable, guys. You're completely missing something here. Yep. There's a real true life that's at hand. Eternal life is something that's at hand today. It's not just somewhere you're going later when you leave this side of the veil. Yeah. A couple helpful dots to connect in closing here are also that like when 
we remember Jesus in this story has already turned water to wine, right? Yep. Which is where in that whole scene, he's completely basically replacing. He is, it's not basically, let me cancel that word out of my sentence. He's replacing the purification systems. That's what the jars were, right? He's like, yep. I'm this now. In the temple, he cleanse, cleanses and clears the temple. He is saying in no uncertain terms, I'm the true temple. Right and here, and what we're going to see soon, but he's saying right here, don't work for the food that goes bad, but work for food that endures for eternal life. Do you remember this part in the, like when the man is coming down out in the desert, he said, don't gather it, just eat it. Don't try to save it for the next day. Hmm. And I'm like, well, but what if there's no bread tomorrow? Like, we got to save this and eat this, right? He's like, no, it's going to come. Yep. Wait by faith. Don't collect your, like, what you need in the future now because it's going to go bad. What you need will be given to you. And Jesus is saying, I'm the bread from heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was the cat out of the bag for the next episode, I guess. He says that in the next section. What? <laughs> you yeah. see that? Like, ooh. Oh, dude. And what that Bills. means, like where that goes, what that entails is like, Lord, now I get it. Now I know why they're dancing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so with that said, thank you so much for listening. Here, and here. Um, yeah, man. So until, uh, until next time, when we pick up where this conversation's ended, Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.